0: Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. First off, Riverside is pulling in a warm day with a high of 86.9 degrees and an evening cool down to 64.2. Now, here is a taste of the stories we will be diving into tech moguls and lawmakers are set to deliberate on the future of AI regulation, trying to quell rising anxieties. Also on the health front, a critical look at the deployment and potential roadblocks of COVID-19 boosters, flu shots, and RSV vaccines. In labor news, a looming strike is putting pressure on negotiations between the UAW and Big Three automakers, threatening to impact 150,000 workers on the brink of a new contract agreement. Finally, a nice piece of nostalgia as the iconic Brady Bunch house changes hands once again, this time for $3.2 million. The superfan buyer plans to convert the property into a venue for charitable events. Stay with us for these stories and more on today's episode of Alex's News. Top story of the day tech leaders, including those from Google, Microsoft, and OpenAI, are to sit down with U.S. senators to discuss AI regulation. Elias has been closely following the situation. Elias, bring us up to speed on this development.
1: Sure, Connie. The central players in tech are getting ready to discuss the future of artificial intelligence regulation with senators in the U.S. Both U.S. and European lawmakers are making pivotal strides towards AI regulation. U.S. Senators are even planning to introduce a bipartisan bill that includes licensing and auditing, introduces liability for AI mishaps, and sets data transparency standards for AI.
0: Surely a groundbreaking move, but has there been any reaction from the tech companies themselves?
1: Well, Connie, these companies have always resisted overregulation. Believing ingenuity could be stifled— There's also a fear of excessive regulations weakening their competitive edge on the global AI stage. These concerns are genuine, but the growing power of big tech companies skews the power balance leaving space for them to possibly dilute or shape the incoming regulations.
0: So are we seeing a pushback from these tech companies then?
1: There certainly is an attempt to sway the narrative. Lawmakers are intent on addressing present issues of surveillance, privacy, and discriminatory algorithms, But tech companies are vying to shift the conversation towards hypothetical, future risks of large AI models.
0: And what about these rumblings of a new instrument known as the Critical Algorithmic Systems Classification, or KASC?
1: Yes, there are indeed calls for CASC. This proposal pitches for federal agencies to get more power to scrutinize and audit AI companies, reinforcing existing laws and even pursuing legal action when necessary. The idea is to address the harm caused by AI and improve accountability.
0: Interesting information there, Elias. Are there any attempts at governing AI in other arenas?
1: Absolutely. U.S. Democratic and Republican senators have presented legislation aimed at banning AI in creating misleading content depicting candidates in political ads. This is an effort to stem the spread of propaganda and misinformation during federal elections.
0: This is a vast and complex issue. What sources can our viewers read to know more?
1: Several New York Times articles provide a deep dive into AI. Some articles focus on regulation, while others discuss the integration of AI in schools and its use in detecting wildfires. For instance, they highlight how AI can assist beach restoration and even be applied in combat planes.
0: Quite a spread of uses. Is this global conversation around AI regulation limited to the U.S.?
1: Not at all, Connie. In the EU, lawmakers are finalizing debates on the AI Act, targeting things like facial recognition and generative AI. Moreover, a Stanford University study found most AI models, including that of OpenAI and Google, do not comply with the EU's AI Act, raising concerns about a need for greater transparency in their operations.
0: It's clear stakes are high in both the US and Europe. Who are the key players in the US pushing for these regulations?
1: There is Senator Richard Blumenthal, Josh Hawley, and Ranking Member Bill Cassidy. Cassidy has sought feedback on AI and health data privacy issues. The bipartisan framework proposed by Blumenthal and Hawley includes licensing, auditing, an oversight office, liability rules, and data transparency standards.
0: It seems like education is not left out of this conversation.
1: Definitely not, Connie. There's a lot of potential, particularly in special education. I can support personalized learning, assistive technology, and enhanced accessibility for students with unique learning needs. Experts believe collaboration among parents, educators, policymakers, and tech developers is key to harness AI responsibly.
0: Thank you for breaking down this complex topic, Elias. This development could shape the future of AI. We're moving now into our second story. Let's bring in Grace, who's been reporting on the looming COVID-19 booster vaccines. Grace, the FDA, has given a nod for these new booster vaccines that target the XBB. 1.5 variant, correct?
2: That's right, Connie. The FDA has approved these vaccines, and currently, the CDC's Advisory Committee is examining their safety and efficacy for further recommendations. The distribution of these boosters, however, won't be fully funded by the government. Instead, vaccines will be available via the commercial marketplace, although most insurance plans should cover the full cost under the Affordable Care Act. So,
0: who should be getting these boosters, and which vaccines are included in this rollout?
2: The vaccine manufacturers Pfizer and Moderna have produced updated mRNA vaccines that are part of this rollout, as well as a protein subunit vaccine from Novavax. All of these have undergone stringent testing and have approval for individuals age 12 and older. A noteworthy point is the inclusion of the Novavax vaccine for children 11 and under through emergency use authorization.
0: Sounds like quite a massive task ahead. But there's been some concern about a low uptake amongst the general populace. How do health professionals plan to navigate this?
2: That's true, Connie. COVID-19 fatigue is real and it's a contributing factor to the low uptake. The challenge lies in effectively communicating the role of the vaccines against new variants and the importance of getting the shot. Healthcare providers need to encourage open and honest discussions, clarifying any concerns and explaining the benefits of vaccination for both individuals and the community.
0: How is the Biden administration
2: assisting with logistics? On the federal end, the Biden administration aims to list locations with boosters in stock on the vaccines.gov webpage. The webpage will also have a feature allowing users to filter for locations offering shots for free to those uninsured. For uninsured individuals not using the webpage, free shots are accessible through the Bridge Access Program at health centers, local health departments, and pharmacies.
0: What else should the public be aware of in terms of these vaccines?
2: An interesting aspect is that you can receive the updated COVID-19 vaccines alongside the annual flu shot, so it's definitely an efficient way to save time and potentially prevent severe diseases when respiratory viruses peak. Speaking of flu shots, the CDC recommends everyone six months and older to get the updated flu shot yearly. Is there anything new regarding flu shots? Actually yes. There's a minor tweak regarding people with egg allergies. The CDC now states anyone with an egg allergy can receive any flu shot without the need for close medical monitoring. Furthermore, a high-dose flu vaccine is recommended for older adults aged 65 and over.
0: I see. And I understand that there are new vaccines for respiratory syncytial virus, or
2: RSV2. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Two new vaccines are available for adults above 60, but the CDC doesn't provide a blanket recommendation for all in this age bracket to get the RSV vaccine. Ongoing studies are determining its effectiveness for everyone. Grace,
0: thank you for providing such an in-depth update for our audience. It sounds like patient communication
2: will be a key aspect in the coming months. Indeed, Connie. Providers should actively address patient concerns, provide clear information, and highlight the vaccine's crucial role in battling the variants. Thank you for having me. Great information
0: there from Grace. Stay tuned for our next story. Sources The Intake Newsletter from Tabra UCLA Health CBS News Mahe News Reuters A.A.B.C. News. CDC. In our third story of the day, we examine the ongoing negotiations between the United Auto Workers, or UAW, and the big three U.S. automakers, General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. This dispute could potentially involve around 150,000 workers and could result in a major strike if no agreement is reached by September 14th, the expiration of the current contract. Our correspondent Ethan, who specializes in this area, is with us today to give us some insights. Ethan, what's the status of these negotiations?
3: Well, Connie, it's important to note that these negotiations have been ongoing since July, but so far, no significant progress has been made. This isn't for lack of trying. Each automaker has extended proposals to the UAW, but none have been accepted just yet. UAW President Sean Fain expressed his dissatisfaction with these offers, all the while emphasizing that the intent isn't to strike but to secure a fair agreement. However, all sides are aware that if an agreement isn't concluded by the deadline, a strike could ensue at any time.
0: And what are some key points of contention in these negotiations?
3: A significant part of the demands from the UAW include wage increases, improved retirement benefits, and notably, a just transition for workers who will be moving to electric vehicle production. This request reflects the UAW's attempt to address challenges posed by the shift to electric cars, which is a central issue in these talks. They're also advocating for a shift toward a four-day, 32-hour workweek.
0: You mention a just transition to electric car production. Can you unpack what this means for our listeners?
3: Of course. Essentially, a just transition refers to ensuring workers aren't left behind during this significant technological shift in auto manufacturing. This includes fair treatment, adequate training, and support from their respective employers. This issue is critical for both parties. While the UAW wants to ensure job security for its members, automakers have raised concerns about these demands potentially affecting their ability to invest in infrastructure and technologies necessary for an effective transition to EV production.
0: Can you share any potential implications of a strike? Should negotiations
3: fail? Absolutely. A potential strike could have significant repercussions on the entire auto industry. Estimates from various news sources, including the Wall Street Journal and NBC News, suggest that a strike lasting just 10 days could cost automakers at least $5 billion. This would inevitably result in halted production, a decrease in vehicle inventory, and could ultimately drive vehicle prices up.
0: And this strike threat comes at a rather challenging time for the auto industry.
3: Indeed it does, Connie. The industry is already grappling with supply chain disruptions, global competition, climate change, and the shift to electric vehicles. Daniel Graff from the University of Notre Dame has mentioned these current negotiations are reminiscent of those during the heyday of American unionism from the mid-1940s to 1960s. Many of the demands by the UAW that were considered audacious then are now seen as essential components of a good job. However, it's clear that both the UAW and the auto sector are facing distinct challenges today.
0: This situation seems to extend beyond just the workers and automakers.
3: You're exactly right, Connie. The negotiations, potential strike, and overall shift to electric vehicles puts a spotlight on larger, industry-wide issues. For instance, the need for investment in EV infrastructure and how the EV boom might affect rural American towns. Further, The rise of China's EV maker, BYD, as a competitor to established automakers is another factor that will surely influence these discussions.
0: It certainly sounds like a pivotal moment for the auto industry. Thank you for your comprehensive insights, Ethan.
3: Always a pleasure, Connie.
0: Our next story for you all revolves around an iconic piece of TV show history, the Brady Bunch house. Chloe has been following this story very closely. Chloe, what can you tell us?
4: Well, Connie, the mid-century home, constructed in 1959, has been sold to Tina Trahan for $3.2 million. This transaction is creating quite a buzz, especially amongst fans of the TV show. That's
0: certainly quite an expansion on Tina Trahan's collection of architecturally interesting homes. Can you give us some background information on the house, Chloe?
4: Absolutely, Connie. This house, located in the Studio City neighborhood in Los Angeles, became a cultural landmark due to its prominent role in The Brady Bunch. It spans over 5,000 square feet boasting five bedrooms, five bathrooms, a fully equipped kitchen with vintage orange formica counters, and even a groovy attic. Stepping inside is almost like a trip back to the 1970s. Undoubtedly it's a delight for nostalgic fans of the popular
0: sitcom, but how did it blend in with the recent renovation trend Chloe?
4: Great question, Connie. HGTV purchased the Brady Bunch house in 2018 for $3.5 million and spent a further $2 million on renovations. All to replicate the interior as seen on the show. This was showcased in the popular series, A Very Brady Renovation, hosted by Drew and Jonathan Scott. It seems that HGTV
0: had initially set sights on a higher selling price though, correct?
4: Yes, Connie. The house was put up on the market with an asking price of $5.5 million. However, it ended up selling for $3.2 million. This price drop could suggest that the high profile of the house, and its specific look, reminiscent of a television set, might have been a deterrent to potential buyers. Interesting.
0: Now what does Tina Trahan plan to do with this iconic house?
4: Contrary to what might be expected, Tina will not be residing at the house. She's a huge fan of the Brady Bunch show and rather sees the house as a piece of artwork to be preserved. She's primarily aiming to use this life-size dollhouse for charitable events and fundraisers. That's a unique approach. The house has a lot of significance in popular culture. It will be
0: interesting to watch its transition to a distinctive charitable hub.
4: Absolutely, Connie. And despite the outcome of the sale, the key point to take away here is the unique journey of this house, from a beloved TV home to being a host for generous causes. The Brady Bunch house remains iconic, and it's safe to say, forever etched in TV history.
0: Thanks for that delightfully nostalgic walkthrough, Chloe. Let's hope this uniquely iconic house continues to bring together fans of the old and new for truly noble causes. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the 11 Labs text-to-speech API, and the Google Cloud text-to-speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.